stories are the software of our lives. We as the humans, the hardware, need an upgrade of our spiritual software, our stories, our wisdom more than ever. Each of these episodes will be like a performance psychologist, philosopher, religious professor, and a monk walked into a bar and had a conversation. It's just me on this podcast because that's the weird conversation that's happening in my brain. I'll be drawing from other wisdom traditions, but each episode will be drawing from one main tradition, the Bible. I'll be drawing from 40 stories. And as I look at these 40 stories, I'll be distilling it down so that you can find the wisdom you need to help upgrade your story wherever you find yourself. The polycontemplative approach is not dedicated to any belief system or ideology. It's an invitation for all of us to pay attention to wisdom that's been passed down our way for thousands of years and learn from it in a new, fresh way today. Welcome to episode six. One of the realities that happens for you as you start to seek out wisdom is you'll find in a common variable in so many stories for people that actually saw a vision of a, a reality in their life occur, something that they wanted to see achieved or happen. It happened because of their ability to suffer long, long suffering, to be consistent. That's why there's so many wisdom traditions and stories that are about the hero facing or the heroine facing this struggle and this battle, and they keep going. Now, as you've journeyed with me through these first five episodes, we've really gone into a deep dive on what it means to, to find within that internal space so that the vision can even occur, so that you could have something to suffer long for, to see it become a reality. You know, what we talked about in PC5 was this idea that at, at the baseline level of life, there is suffering, there is challenges. Can we, can we eat, drink, and be merry? And in that, learn who we are, what it means for us to find the simplicity in serving, and then be transformed by our community. And as you take this polycontemplative journey or approach, and you learn to find the sound of thin silence within, you become the kind of person who can then have vision occur for their life that translates into focus, into mission, into prioritization, into impact. And you'll start to see as you live this way how many dissipate and waste so much of their potential and influence. So we're going to be really talking about vision for a number of episodes because this is what happens as you learn who you are and you're transformed and it translates into a very focused presence, a relaxed presence, a presence that's able to suffer long for the vision. For me, when I think about suffering long for the vision and the next story that I would want to tell myself or tell my children around the fire, it's about what it means to have something that you grab a hold of and you don't let it go and it doesn't let go of you and you become and you become and you become. And as a result of that becoming, you look up one day and the doing is the overflow of your life and you have the vision that was birthed in you. And for too many people, what they're focused on doing, they want to have something so that they can finally do something they want to do so that they can finally be somebody, somebody of significance, somebody of impact, somebody that can feel safe or whatever. So we're reversing that order. And one of my favorite stories when I think about this is the story of Joseph. 
if if my children were to ask questions as that's as it's tend to happening tend to happen right now at this stage in their lives if they were to ask questions about choices college majors you know all these kind of things that it shows up in today's modern existence i want them to think more about vision than the right major more about vision than anything else and that story that is so powerful for me and I've gone back to it many times and can be for others when we extract the wisdom out it's the story of Joseph now you may know Joseph as the story of the colored robe or the coat of many colors but there's something here that's really profound and deep and it's where all transformation starts so at some time, maybe around the age of 17, Joseph is the youngest brother. He's in a place where he's not going to be seen as anything other than an older concept, the runt of the family. And yet the father does something for Joseph that's counterintuitive, especially at this time. It doesn't fit into the way society worked at this time. This time, society greatly favored the firstborn son above everything else. There's reasons for that. Some of those reasons were good. Some of those reasons led to some negative things. Minds and uh, realities evolved in these tribal affiliations for certain reasons. Now, we look back at it, and we can only see the negative, and we can call it you know, patriarchy, but the problem with that is there were actually a lot of positives that came out of it, negatives too. So again, this whole project, we're not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. We're looking at it from a standpoint of what it means to deconstruct it and understand it, but put it back together to get that wisdom. So Joseph, he's this 17-year-old boy, and he gets a dream. He gets a vision. He didn't go looking for this dream. He didn't go looking for this vision, but it still happened. And it happened significantly, I believe, at the age of 17. The reason is because for too many of us, it's too easy to progress in life in such a way that we lose our ability to receive the vision. It's much easier for youth to receive vision. Now, you can cultivate it at an older age, but the reason it's much easier for youth to receive a vision is because they're still willing to have the current box they're in disrupted. They're willing to push against it. Sadly, as you age, you tend to drift towards building a complacency, a structure around your life that allows you to stay comfortable and coast. In fact, from an evolutionary standpoint, that's what we desire, to take uh, the chaos of our life and continue to order it so we don't have chaos. Well, I, you know, it is a skill that you can learn to develop, and I'm going to teach you this in some of the other polycontemplative episodes. But for now, it's just drawing out this idea that Joseph at age 17 is able to receive a vision. And, and what do you think happens when he gets that vision? Well, in his immaturity, he can't help but share it. He's excited. So he shares this vision. And as he shares this vision, he talks about what it looks like for really his family to be bowing down to him. How do you think that made the older brothers feel? How do you think it makes the family feel when he's sharing this vision that they're going to be bowing down to him? Are they able to celebrate that vision? No. This goes back to the episode where we talked about the role of an institution. And health, a healthy institution can celebrate the vision within us while also calling out and cultivating the development of our character so we actually have the character to sustain the vision. Joseph doesn't have the character to sustain the vision. But rather than his family being able to call that out in a positive way, something negative happens. 
And the negative thing that happens is, this is a barbaric time, much different than now. I know that you don't know anybody who handles their suffering and invalidations with violence, but his brothers band together. They're actually going to kill him. They're going to kill him. And and what makes this story uh, so counterintuitive at this point is that the father picks this youngest son as his favorite. He favors Joseph. It would have usually been the older son. But in favoring the younger son, we find in this story that what Joseph is experiencing from his dad is actually setting up the intensity of this rivalry and this experience. In fact, the reason that you may know the story at all is because the coat of many colors. The idea is they've all got these uh, very, very plain coats, and dad gives Joseph the Versace coat or whatever. He's giving him this as a sign of his favor and his love and his attention. And his brothers aren't like, yeah, our dad tolerates us, but he celebrates Joseph. Instead, there's this rivalry already growing in them. And when he shares this dream, it's like the tipping point here in the story. His brothers can't take it anymore. They're not going to take it anymore. They're not going to put up with it anymore. And so what are they going to do? They're going to take it out on him and they're going to kill him. But thankfully, one of his brothers speaks up. And as you start to think about how vision plays out in your life, I want to draw out a few big ideas. And the first big idea here is this. A vision arrives and it disappoints. A vision arrives and it disappoints. See, the whole challenge of of vision is being in a place that you can even receive it, that it can arrive. And some of you that are listening to this, you may be in a place right now where it's just things have happened on repeat for enough months or years that you're in a rut or you're in a pattern and, and you're pushing up the edge, pushing up against the edges of the current box that you're in. But you can't really imagine what it's like to be out of that box. So, so vision for you is kind of stagnant. And in a number of episodes, we're going to be talking about how to open ourselves up to more vision. But if the vision were to arrive, oftentimes what people can't prepare for emotionally is how disappointing it is because it shows them where, where they could be, but it creates this gap between where they could be and where they are and that disappointment that happens right there. But a, but a vision arrives, and Joseph, thankfully, shares it. And the reason I'm thankful that he shares it is because the worst thing you can do with vision is hide. I, I would hope for him to have the maturity to share it in a way that he would not stir up the rivalry and even more with his brothers, but he doesn't have that kind of awareness yet. And in not having that kind of awareness, I have no doubt it's easy for me to imagine that he shares it super enthusiastically, blind to what he's making them feel. And so they come together and they're going to kill him. But a brother speaks up and says, no, we're not going to kill him. They put him in this pit. They actually decide then to sell him into slavery. Instead of killing him, they're going to sell him into slavery. They're going to make up a lie to dad and they're going to tell dad, hey, Joseph got killed. Let dad grieve and mourn and go on with it. But at least we get rid of him. And the one brother speaking up for his life is like, hey, we haven't killed him. We can sell him into slavery. I mean, if you think that ancient stories represent picture-perfect families, you're wrong. <laughs> They're messy. They, they show the struggles. The other thing that I think that I can't help but comment on just for a moment, because it may encourage you, 
after coaching people, hundreds of people all over different parts of the world, now our, our certified coaches as they work with others, here's a pattern I can tell you plays out all the time. Parents still play favorites. Parents still play favorites because it's it's so much easier to parent the child that is maybe like your partner or your spouse that you are attracted to. They share some personality characteristics that enliven parts of you. Oftentimes, not always, it can be hardest to parent yourself because you're trying to lead yourself through growth while you're also getting your anxiety surfaced by your exchanges with this little one that you love so much, but you, and very easily still parents can play favorites. And in this story, if I'm telling this story around the fire, if I'm sharing this story as a way to encourage a long suffering of seeing a vision occur in your life, it's just understanding that no perfect circumstance that births a vision exists. There's, there's no place where you were in a situation and you got all the perfect caretaking that you needed. And so what we can do right now in society is compare, well, you had it better or I had it worse. And we start to try to pull people down and we play this zero sum game with dignity. You know, your story's harder than mine or my story's harder than yours. None of that matters. The wisdom traditions teach us if it causes you to stumble, it shapes your story. If it causes you to suffer, it shapes your story. If it hurts, it matters. This isn't about a competition. This is about doing one thing, first and foremost, being zeroed in on the vision. What's happening in us? How are we becoming something more than we were? Where are we being invited into to a new greater reality, what could be and should be rather than what is. But that is what sets up the process of transformation. We get the vision and there's a disappointment because it's not happening yet. What's it feel like for Joseph to get this dream? And in the box of his worldview at that moment, the idea would be that, and, and you see this progression with the people of Israel. At one point, they believe God is the God of the gods. Uh, Yahweh is the God. And, and, and their God is the God of all the gods. And then at another point as it progresses, they believe their God is the God. There is no other God. And this is how humans are, are evolving in the way that they experience and think about these things. But in Joseph's box at that time, here's what he would have thought. God gave me this dream and it's going to happen. Now, I don't know what you would consider the source of your dreams. For me in the poly contemplative approach, we're just saying this, that the best wise approach throughout human history tends to be a both and approach are we materializing our are we are we making consciousness happen is our brain generating it are we just materialists or are we tuning something are we receiving something is there more and i'm comfortable saying yeah we're probably going to find out how the brain generates and we're also going to find out scientifically some things we can't explain and what the brain receives and I stand with a foot in both of those worlds. I'm okay at it being both. And, and Joseph in his box, in his worldview at that point, and boxes aren't bad. Boxes grow us. They develop us. They're structures that give us a way to make meaning. And in his box at that time, God gave him that dream. What would it have felt like for him to be now in this pit? His brothers have betrayed him. Disillusioned much? 
I mean, you get a dream and you get a vision and you think something's going to happen and you get excited about it and you start to maybe even have the courage to share it with others, to share it with your family, the people that could love and celebrate with you about this vision. And instead, it makes them jealous. This vision achieved the exact opposite of what he thought it would. It was supposed to head in this direction with his family and it went this direction. And so he's in a pit. He's in a pit of struggle, of despair, of loneliness, of abandonment, of feeling like he's the only one. It's all the things that you and I have felt when we experience the gap between a vision arriving and it disappointing us because of the way it starts to play out. But I want you to see what happens next in the story. Because he's sold into slavery, and as he's sold into slavery, he goes and works in this politician's home, basically this executive politician type person, and he starts running his home for him. And as he's running his home for him, he shows a real knack for it. He's got some real leadership skills. He's got some abilities. Now, if I'm Joseph at that point, and I'm finding my advancement, I'm finding my promotion, I'm finding some things start to click in place, what's happening on the inside of me? I'm texting my friends and saying, it's happening. The vision is starting to happen. So he starts to get excited about it. He starts to get a a, a fresh inspiration, a belief, a hope. And then in this story, and again, you got to think about what this story would have been like to tell it over and over around the fire over thousands of years. The hearers of this story start to cheer for Joseph. They start to get excited for him. And then Joseph has this exchange with this household he's supposed to be running and and the the wife of this person's household that he's running basically comes on to Joseph she wants him and Joseph turns her down now you got to remember in these ancient stories one of the things that you see playing out as a theme is what it means to be distracted by the shiny thing. Now, I'm not objectifying a woman in the way that I'm relaying this story. This is just how they thought. I think if you told the story today, you'd find different ways to tell it. But it's still a wisdom principle that a a shiny thing can be a distraction, that a momentary, you know, gratification could cause you to trade in what you've suffered for so many days now what you've persevered for so many days now and so this executive politician his wife comes on to joseph and what does joseph do does he give into it that's how the hearers were like what's he going to do he doesn't give into it he goes the other direction he runs away and by running away he leaves behind something of his and so as dramas develop I don't, it doesn't matter to me where you fall, male, female, where, whatever you relate to in your life as you conceive or perceive of your, your gender. This is true for all of us, that we can all be in a place where we're a, we, we experience a temptation to deny the vision, to get momentary gratification. And Joseph does what we need to do when we have a vision. He runs the other direction. And by doing the right thing and running the other direction, and in having a piece of his clothing grabbed at and left behind, then she goes to her husband and says, this is what your servant did. And Joseph goes to prison. So when you think about the projection of 
Joseph's vision. If you're looking at him as this ambitious, growing, developing 17-year-old, and he gets this vision, it's like, look at what his life is going to be like. And no doubt, some of you that have a high amount of potential of experience where people kind of whisper in your ear, you kind of remind me of such and such. And it's a previous past figure that they're speaking to you about of who they are reminded of when they see you and they see your trajectory doing this. But instead, what happens for Joseph? He gets into the pit, but then he starts to believe, oh, it's going to happen again. Here it is. It's going. And he goes back into a pit because his boss doesn't believe him. And so because his boss doesn't believe him, he's in jail. Now he's in jail. And this is the hard part. This is really the movement that I want you to notice. Not only does a vision arrive and disappoint you, a vision requires surrender over and over and over again. Now, this is going to sound weird because it's it's a juxtaposition. You want to see a vision happen. You've got to stubbornly persist. What are you surrendering? The vision will happen. That is the destination. What you are surrendering is the path of how that vision is going to occur. Because if you can't surrender and surrender some more and surrender some more and surrender some more when the path isn't going like what you think, you start to get bitter. You start to get resentful. I can find people that know how to get a vision. I can find very many people, not with a lot of trying, just analyzing people's communication techniques that have given up on that vision ever occurring. And now because of so many failed pathways, they nurture a grudge or a bitterness or resentment. There are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. There are people that occasionally get a lucky break and there are occasionally people that have some kind of shortcut play out for them, but then they do not have the character to sustain their vision because of the way that that played out. And so to the degree that you want to see a vision happen is to the degree that you're going to be refined and reformed in moments that feel like up and down and pathways closing. And some pathways start to work out for a little bit and you get excited and then the pathway shuts down again. I remember for myself and my work, Uh, a number of years into what I'm doing. And I heard uh, Seth Godin, who's like a a person who talks about leadership and blogs a lot. uh, He was saying how he lived on the edge of bankruptcy for eight years to get to the point that he could do what he's doing, you know, full time. I remember where I was standing in a grocery store. I was doing some kind of shopping for my family and I'm listening to that on my headphones. And I remember tearing up. I'm tearing up because it's like, What's wrong with me? Why can't I make this happen faster? Why am I not getting this together? Why why can't I get my shit together and just make this go like I want to? It seems like so many other people have an easier time. Why am I having such a hard time? Now, I think some of us may suffer too long on forcing a path that isn't working. And some of you right now have been on a path so long and it's not working. And there's a diminishing return to your growth. And you need to ask yourself... You know, have I hit the diminishing return of my ability to be patient? I need to change pathways. So I'm not endorsing any kind of approach to stay with a pathway too long. That's why I like this Joseph story so, so much because you're not the causal agent 
of all of your life circumstances. Your job is to cooperate and unfold, co- cooperate with what's unfolding and what's happening. And, and Joseph didn't seek to have this path shut down, but it did. And I know that Joseph in this story, as you see it unplaying, is such a great model for us because he gets a vision that arrives and then it disappoints because it's not happening. And in the pain of the vision not happening, he keeps surrendering. Now, how do you do surrender in a way that you stay focused on the vision to see it happen, but you're not becoming a person who tries to force things and is bitter and resentful and uptight because if you're not able to stay loose with it you're not going to cooperate with what's unfolding i'll show you what happened for joseph because this is what makes this story powerful and how it can be helpful to you joseph goes to prison and in prison he gets contact with some high level officials i'm going to tell you about that in a minute but when he's in contact with these high level officials the most powerful phrase that i can imagine in this story it's this. These high-level officials get put in prison. They worked for the number one dude. This is Pharaoh in Egypt. This is this story. You got to think how the story was told, right? Who's the most powerful person in the world at that time in this worldview, right? Pharaoh uh, with, with the power and the influence of Egypt. And so as this story is being told, these people that are Pharaohs, you know, key trusted advisors and confidants in his daily life because it's like the people that have to take care of him in regards to like his eating and you know at this level they have to test things for him and they have to make sure they're okay and they're not getting poisoned and so anyway these key officials and advisors are in prison we don't know why joseph's in prison but here's the key phrase it says that joseph noticed their sadness now If I'm in a place in life that I get a vision and I'm thinking good things are going to come from that vision, my brothers sell me into prison or slavery, and then it starts to happen. I start to get hope again. And then I get falsely accused and getting falsely accused. I go back down into the pit, into prison. What's happening in my life at that point is I'm not going to be noticing what's happening around me. For the average person, my head is down. I'm sullen. I'm downcast. I'm struggling. But instead, what do we see? Joseph's head up. He notices their faces. He notices their sadness. What it means to surrender is that when pathways aren't working out, you keep practicing your vision in the dark. So when the lights come on, you're ready. And we see that Joseph did that because he notices their face is downcast and he asks him about it. So he has the courage, he has the emotional awareness, interpersonal presence to notice this in the midst of his own struggle and suffering. And then to have the courage to lean into that moment, ask them about it. And come to find out they had this dream that they needed interpreted. Now, this is going to be a little bit difficult for us to relate to because, you know, we go to the grocery store and we buy our food. We don't deal in agricultural cycles. Well, for much of the world's religions, the hunter-gatherer religions and the agricultural religions, dreams had massive significance because as a dream shows up, I mean, that's how this story started. Joseph had a dream. As a dream shows up, we think in our modern way of very literal thinking, it has this literal meaning 
But dream interpretation throughout human history has been more of a skill. Carl Jung probably did the most in modern living to really take us forward as humans. And, and, and he really helped us understand dreams aren't just something literal that we look at for this literal interpretation. Instead, they're symbolic. They speak to things that if we would actually do the deep work of trying to capture our dreams and pay attention to them, they help us and they guide us. So you can think about it this way. You have your conscious reality, you have your subconscious, and you have your unconscious. Well, what happens when you are living, you're, you're right here. This is what's known to you. This is what's knowable, the subconscious, and then the unconscious is what's unknowable. Well, there's two ways that I know of to drop these barriers and let the good stuff that's here shoot up into your conscious awareness. Dreams and the active practice of your imagination. And there's a lot of different ways you can do that through skills, through, you know, different people might use uh, rituals or trances or plant meditations, all of these things that have happened throughout human history that drop these walls. Dreams are a big one. So what Joseph is doing is offering himself to them. He's practiced his vision in the dark. He doesn't know when his dream from 17 is going to happen. Now maybe he's about 30 years old. So that means he's 13 years persevered in this up and down rhythm. And he's practiced his vision in the dark and he's offered himself now to these people to interpret their dreams. See, a vision arrives and it disappoints. And the vision requires surrender when the pathways shut down. And the key way that you can know that you're staying in a healthy place, that you're keeping the vision, the fire is hot, but you're surrendered to not fight against the circumstances that are playing out in your life, but cooperate with them and nurture momentum from them. The key way that you can know that you're doing that is if you practice your vision in the dark. I mean, even what I'm doing with you in this format right now, where I'm, I'm, I'm live in this experience, if you're watching it uh, by video, um, you know, you can see that I'm just here with you talking. If you're listening to audio, uh, you, you, you won't be able to see as much that part of it. But like, this is just me. I'm here and I'm having a conversation with you. But this started when I was 18. I mean, when I was 18, all I cared about was hanging out and having a good time. And something in me, a vision, a dream happened. I remember where I was driving when it happened. I didn't seek it. It happened to me. And it was about what it meant to, to speak and share ideas and communicate and teach and help others grow and learn. And at the time, that was not what I cared about. I, did, I just wanted to hang out and have a good time. But, but everything shifted in me at that point. And I didn't have opportunities to do it a lot. I got one and I asked my a college buddy what he thought. He said, maybe you could make it more interesting. In other words, I was boring. And I had such a fire, a vision in me that I would literally go to this local lake near my college and I would stand on the shores and I would put together talks. And I would practice just giving those talks out into the water, just reaching that flow state where I lost the inhibition, worrying about what people were thinking of me and just giving my best to sharing that moment. And I've practiced that vision in the dark over and over and over and over again. And I stand ready for moments when... I might notice something and I can ask a question and I can be there and I can help people. And, you know, everything in my life is built on these cascading moments of this idea of this Joseph story that a vision arrives and disappoints because it doesn't happen like you think and it doesn't happen as fast. And then it requires surrender. You're cooperating with what's unfolding. 
And then this next stage that you practice that vision in the dark, whatever that is. And for Joseph, it's what it means to practice being a leader, to be aware, to take care of others, to serve, to interpret dreams. And and as he steps into this moment and he's interpreting this dream, it's so beautiful because for him, he's doing his best to put himself out there. He helps them and he says this, remember me, remember me. In other words, when you leave from here, okay, and you go back to being with the number one dude, the Pharaoh, I want you to remember what I did for you because I want you to help me get out of here. I don't want to stay here. I have more vision than what this moment is. And I admire the tenacity and the passion of Joseph here. He has the courage to do that. You know, for some of you to promote yourself, if it comes from an insecure motive, you're going to be deformed in doing that. So you need to, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. But for some of you, and this is for most people, you're hiding. You have so much to offer it and you could share it but you're afraid to. You're afraid to actually speak to the greatness that's in you and what you have to offer and what you might could make better in the world. And it doesn't even have to be these big, massive things. It can just be small. I'm here with this one person and I want to be bold and passionate and compassionate in the way that I share what I can make available to them. Here's the thing though. You have to be vigilant about your motives, but never apologize for your passion for the vision. That's how you protect yourself. Don't apologize for your passion for the vision. Let the passion rage. Let it show forth out of you. Bring it with all its heat and its and its clarity, whether it's simple and it's just a little subtle thing that you're dropping into somebody's life or big and you got to share it big, whatever it is. Vision is all of that. Never apologize for your passion for the vision. For, for your ability to believe, to believe in who you are, to believe in what's happening to you, to believe in a, a, a source that you might perceive is greater than you, gave you this dream and you're holding on to it. But do be vigilant about your motives. Joseph has the courage to share his vision, but he's vigilant about his motives. And how do we know that? Because it's the way that he's been refined over and over and over again. And we see a test that he's got to pass and that's going to come up here in just a second. But what Joseph does is he shares... And as he shares, again, you don't know the path. He can't control the timing. Guess what they do? They freaking forget. They forget about him. And they're back and working with Pharaoh. And it's some time has passed. And again, I'm Joseph. I just shared this dream with them. My situation's going to change. Here it is. It's, it's finally going to change. And then time keeps passing because a vision arrives and disappoints. It requires continual surrender because the path isn't going like you think. You practice it in the dark. But as you practice in the dark, there is a moment or something changes. And that's what happens. And they do finally remember. And I think part of the reason they remembered is because he asked to be remembered. So we don't apologize for the vision. We just check our motives. And they remember. And then he's asked by Pharaoh to interpret a dream. And he interprets a dream. And very quickly, he becomes the number two leader in all, basically, the, the known world at that time. In the context of this religion and worldview because we know there are other parts of the world at this moment 
But but what's happening for him is he becomes this number two. So as you hear and you listen and around the fire, the story is being told, the long suffering of his vision over these many years, it's now happened. Shouldn't the story end here? It doesn't because there's a fourth piece here. And this fourth piece is it's where you get tested now that you've got the power, what are you going to do with the power? See, when, when you're in a place that you see people that have an early vision that they haven't suffered long for and they're clamoring for power, they usually can't be trusted with that power because they try to get power with power. And when you try to get power with power, you deform yourself in doing that. And that's why our world right now is so confused and hurting because it's power groups battling out. This isn't how the world changes. But what Joseph does is he gets tested because he's number two now. And guess who has to come get food from him because this famine hits the world? You know, it's his brothers. His brothers have got to ask him for help. And so what happens as they ask him for help? They've got to bow down to him. And he does something to see if they're still the kind of brothers that they were or if they're different and better. And so here's what he does. And this is so powerful when you see this. He tests them by setting up the younger brother, because there's now a new younger brother. <laughs> they, had, they had big families back then. He tests them by seeing what they'll do with the new younger brother when the new younger brother gets falsely connected and corrupted in a circumstance. And what do they do? Rather than throwing this new younger brother under the bus, they come back and own the situation. See, Joseph could be could be the kind of person who gets revenge just for his validation, but he doesn't. But he does still need to test the situation. And what's so powerful about this story is what Joseph does here that is powerful for me today right now. There have been people that have ignored me. There have been people that have ignored you. There have been people that have treated me bad. There have been people that have treated you bad. There have been people that have helped me and shown me love. There have been people that have helped you and shown you love. But as your vision materializes and as it happens and as you see the beauty coming forth out of it, you will have this choice. You don't go to Care Bear land where you just think everything is hunky-dory and I can just open myself up to everyone, no healthy boundaries. I don't have to be strategic. I can just say, here's my love and I give it to the world. No, because there are still people that will hurt you, that will take you down. At the same time, we can't live bitter or revengeful. We can't be in this place that we suspect everyone's motives towards us. So we find ways to test them, and it grows us too. What are we going to do with our power? Are we going to hurt our brothers who are here now bowing down to us? Are we going to take it out on them, or are we going to forgive them? And as we forgive the people that hurt us, we need to figure out, can they be trusted? Are they healthy? Are they growing? And that's what Joseph does. He tests. He has to forgive, and then he tests. And I think... The second big phrase of this story that's so beautiful is that when Joseph said his forgiveness out loud this way, whatever you meant for my harm worked out for my good. This is the killer mindset. This is the beautiful insight into this story. And this is the thing that if I was telling the story around the fire, to my children or grandchildren, as it would have been told for thousands of years, it's to get a mindset that you understand in the long suffering of vision, whatever's happening right now that looks like it's going to harm me, it's going to work out for my good. And it can work out for your good too. 
Thanks for being here. Peace. Hey, thank you for being here and listening to this episode. Please feel free to rate and share the podcast with others. More importantly, I want to invite you to come to SightShift.com, S-I-G-H-T Shift.com. There, I'm obsessively focused on helping people with three problems. Number one, how to work on their worldview and make their own meaning. Number two, how to find their place in the world and move with a laser-focused mission. And number three, transcend status games and build the healthy community they want to be a part of. Through our platform of content, certified coaches, and community, we are transformational guides to help you find your wisdom. Join us at SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, Shift.com.